Welcome back to another episode of the Individuation Podcast. My name is James Malamas, and we've got a great episode for you. Today we have a special episode. We welcome back Eric Tomlinson and Lisa Hong to discuss the Jung Map of the Soul, Chapter 9. It's a great discussion, and we can't wait for you to hear it. So without any further ado, Dr. Al Samurai, take it away. Welcome to another episode of the Individuation Podcast. I am Dr. Lahab El Samurai uh, from the Institute for uh, Conflict, and I also have Eric Tomlinson, also from the Institute for Conflict, and Lisa Hong, also from the Institute for Conflict. I will let them introduce themselves. And Lisa, welcome back. Hi, thanks Always for having good me. To see you. Thanks. <laughs> Eric, you want to say hi? Hello. Okay. Um, Eric is working on volume today. We will see how it works. I am working on volume. I just realized that I keep fixing laptop and uh, the video camera is up here. That's much better, sir. Well, now I figured out where it is because I've been standing at laptop fixing it back and forth. Okay. Um, so today we are covering... Uh, Young's Map of the Soul, uh, Chapter 9, and the title is always beautiful. It's of time and eternity, synchronicity. It's a beautiful chapter. It's an amazing concept. Um, I think we miss its subtleness as well as its sophistication. I think that's why so many people have a very hard time um, understanding it. And I'm hoping today maybe we can try to elucidate some kind of meaning out of it just to help our listeners and um, to talk more about this chapter. So we're also going to talk about the, how um, JAMP uh, works. And we're going to reveal a secret about JAMP and the inner workings of JAMP today. I have decided on this broadcast. Ooh, I can't wait to hear it. So, yes, Lisa. And Lisa's going to talk about her experience with JAMP. She's also going to talk about how um, her clients' experiences were, how they um, explained them to their, how the treatment was explained to the provider of the treatment. Um, it's a very interesting thing, especially when you're going through it. But it, I, I, Lisa, you wanna comment on that? It's such an interesting, uh procedure, JAMP, when you are a recipient as well as when you're an administrator of it. You learn a lot about um, how processes work and how they manifest and how it is that uh, there's so much inner dialogue that happens in between on both ends that are not expressed, but it is so significant and uh, it, the in-between spaces, just like in a black and white image, you know, the spaces, the emptiness is just as important as the filled space. Where, where the interaction is actually as somebody who's witnessing what is happening to the other person. Mm -hmm. They are actually 
uh, internalizing their emotional and psychological state at that point. Yes, they are. Absolutely. So this is so fascinating because when you're watching their face and you start seeing it like crunch up just a micro inch, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, you know what they're clenching for. You know what's mm -hmm. happening. You know something is moving. You could see mm -hmm. it, the bristles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, we had uh, we had an interesting uh, uh, client. Um, uh, we will not talk about his name, but he had uh, a lot of interesting uh, thoughts on Jim. He did. And, but he has been one who has had a lot of experience in different approaches and therapies and was actually marching right his way into our lab. And, and, uh, and he was keen and ready and receptive. And, um, but this really, for him, um, really capitalized on a lot of roadblocks or on um, um, you know uh, trigger topics or um, you know memories of intensity that he had been dealing with and processing but it really let him make a an a incredible breakthrough where there was a lot of understanding and release of self and uh, uh, of the members and uh, that you know the the key subjects of other people who were in that in that situation it just it just helped really move everything culminate and move, let things release and move together it was really an incredible thing and he and his uh, he had a very tough background and he came from a place where um he lived in fear mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. he lived with uncertainty all the time mm -hmm. and um the treatment dealt with that. It did. Yes. That sense he, of being where you're never sure, uh, were you invited to the party? Does anybody want you? Even if you had an invitation with a stamp on it, you're always mm -hmm. asking yourself questions. Do you belong? Mm -hmm. Should I be here? So Can vigilantly. Yes. Yes. Uh, and he was all, vigilantly always being aware of his surroundings and the people and the situation and trying to read it correctly. And, and it just weighed on him. And you can see he has better days and other days that, where it was heavier. But at the end, he was lighter and floating like a bubble. <laughs> and his whole face filled out and with a, a smile. And uh, in his I eyes- I also remember you getting very agitated because you were working with that kind of emotional output. Mm. So you observed that in me as I was yeah. working with him? Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. because, mm -hmm. because it's not easy to do the work. I think sometimes we don't explain the work. Oh, mm. you're sitting in front of camera. What are you doing? Ah, ha, 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 very funny. No, mm. this is serious work. You are dealing with the depth of emotions in human beings that have been untapped since they mm -hmm. were little children, mm -hmm. that energy, that core fear, that core uncertainty, mm -hmm. and then you start doubting yourself. Am I doing this correctly? Is this working? 
then you start asking questions. And that's what happens in daily interactions with a lot of people when they move against this energy field. Now, we all have some form of counter-transference, whether with a client, through jam, or just by having a conversation. Eric, what? We, I'm sorry, Lisa, go. I was just affirming we certainly do, and that's how we relate to each other also. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But this is at a very higher level. So what we're explaining to everybody is that there is a psychic energy field that connects all of us. Mm -hmm. And because it connects all of us, we experience the other person's experience. So if you go into a place and it doesn't feel good, you say, oh, this place doesn't feel good. I need to get out of here. What you are sensing is the energy in the room from whatever psychic output there was whether there was people in there, whether there was a death, whether something happened in that room where the psychic energy works. And so part of aspects of this chapter that I wanna get into. Um, Lisa, you have another thought. I see it on your face. Oh no, I'm just thinking about how happy he is right now. I mean, he reached out to me recently and he's doing great. Does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, that's fantastic. I mean, that's what yeah. we do. Yeah. <laughs> that's the great thing about Jam because uh, mm -hmm. Jungian advanced motor processing is all about relief. Mm -hmm. um, it's, I want to say it's revolutionary, but I think it's beyond. We are creating something that we are, we have looked at Jung's map of the psyche and we've had, we found a road that didn't exist and we built a bridge on it. There is a road, but it's not uh, a road that's usually used. So we built a bridge on it and we started moving in and out. Anyway, we'll get into that uh, thought. Um, Lahab, can I add yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was just thinking when you were talking about what Jamp is doing and in the, in the mind. And, um, <clears throat> and you said that you were inferring that when some of those changes take place, a lot of them are, are, are taking place either on an unconscious level or just barely above the unconscious level. And, <clears throat> and you can see it in the micro expressions that people have, some people have. And I was thinking how funny because not only did I see that happening to me when I was experiencing Jamp, but I had, I also had a big spike. Yeah. Uh, so you would have not seen a micro expression. You would have seen a big expression um, because it was when I first realized that what this is doing and what it is helping me to do is to become freer and it helped me to move past just basic general fear that i have for example in the past i would have not said a certain thing to someone because mm. i wouldn't have been sure about it mm. now i'm free enough that i don't care <laughs> and that doesn't mean that i don't I don't manage 
how I say it and tone of voice and understand the context and be polite when need to be and professional when need to be and all those things. It doesn't mean you just spit out everything that comes into your guts, but now I can talk about the content and be prepared to explain any little branch off of that major root and feel excited about it. Whereas in the past, I would have been insecure about it enough to where it made me be too cautious in my expression. Ooh. Does that make, does that all that make sense? Yes, very much so. Um, so I'll get into that because I want to get into that, but I wanted to read uh, a fragment of this beautiful chapter because it's, it's so eloquent, it's like poetry. He writes it in such a way that um, you want to not only believe, you want to understand more and more. You want him to keep talking. <laughs> so um, it's very interesting because uh, Stein was a part of uh, my life for a specific period of time that was very important, that was transformative and at the time um, it felt like Eric needed to go see him also. So we, we actually talked him into taking Eric. And thank you and, for that. And, and it, it felt like, because here he talks about signoricity and causality. And he talks about how signoricity is something that is a priori, it has already happened within us before it comes out to the outside. So after all this time, what's interesting, Eric, is that we get together to talk about gem. And the first four, first four chapters of are filled with controversial issues that get us all agitated and um, upset and there was a, but then we come to this chapter and this chapter tells us um, what we're doing is what Jung theorized but never stated. So what we're doing is it was an intuitive leap But it's not an intuitive leap that I alone took. I tried to explain Lisa early on. It was an intuitive leap that others around me started taking. Mm -hmm. Lisa kept saying, it's not intuitive. It's, you know, it's practical. You have been doing this for 20 years. You, you have PhD, you teach at university. Of course you, but there is a part of this that understanding it is an intuitive leap. Because basically in this chapter, he talks about the psychoid realm and he said the psychoid realm is where the archetypes exist. And within that, they actually connect us. They connect the psyche to the outer world. They connect the psyche to the body. They connect the psyche to itself, to consciousness. but it's within the unconscious. Mm -hmm. 
What what do you think? Uh, anybody go? I I mean, for me, the 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 first half of this chapter is some of the most incredible uh, words that I've that I've uh, read on this subject. Um, years ago, there was a book that came out, Flow. There was another book that came out, Synchronicity. I read so, both. Me, I, University of Chicago. I remember when that book came out. It yeah, was, I read both uh, of those. It was uh, it was groundbreaking at the time. Very much so. And um, the, there's a term they used. <clears throat> I don't remember who, but it was a. They said that synchronicity is a loss of reflective consciousness. And then I read somebody else who thought thought about that, tried to come up with an example that people who have not studied this information would know. And I thought it was a good example. They, 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 used, uh, they used the example of an athlete or an artist or a musician or someone who was in that moment doing something that was just beyond belief or incredible and they were in that moment and while they're in that moment their conscious thought has been dramatically in terms of the reflective conscious thought has been dramatically reduced and they're just being they're just emanating the stuff that's in them so, so Stein would say, uh, and he writes about Jung, he talks about the graph that shows space on top, time on the bottom, causality on the left, and synchronicity on the right. So it's like a, a plus sign. So that's what you're talking about. What you're talking about is um, Jung's idea between causality and synchronicity. It's that exact moment in time where the thing happens in such a way and you perform perfectly. It doesn't matter how much you rehearse for it. It doesn't matter how or how many times you didn't or you didn't anticipate it. Or in the back of your mind, there'll be a time where something will happen and I will have to show up. You're in the zone, as they say. Yes. But that is the timing mechanism. So all these guys like are infected by each other, right? Einstein is here, Polly is here, they're all infected by each other. So Jung is like listening to Einstein and trying to figure out what Einstein is saying and Einstein is being very practical. Jung is thinking way too deep. Einstein is telling you the story. I think it's fascinating. And somehow along the way, we found our way on the road to jump. That in mind and matter, on uh, if anybody has this book, but on mind and matter on page 209 at the bottom, he says, the relation of the mind to matter intrigued Jung endlessly he thought very curious, for instance, that on the basis of mathematical thought alone, a bridge could be built 
that would stand up to the rigors of nature and human traffic. Mathematics is a pure product of the mind, appears nowhere in the natural world. This is our invisible bridge. This is my, uh, my, my client. This is her latest dream on the night of January. I'm in graduate school, possibly getting a doctorate. I'm in the hallway on the upper floor of the school. It's wide hallway, there are table and chair study stations placed intermittently along the way, the hallway. I am walking along looking for a place to study. There is a table with a youngish man sitting at it, working on his computer. He greets me and I sit down at the other end of the table. He asks how my write-up is coming along. We are both studying JAMP and are required to write up a client case study as well as a paper on JAMP. I told him I can do the case study write up in a couple of hours and I'm not worried about it. Haven't even begun to think about the other paper because it isn't due until the end of the term. We are each other's clients for our practice. <laughs> she does not know that the students do jump with each other. Okay, this is her unconscious, right? We are each other's clients for our practice. Jamp, and he asked me if I want to play a joke on our professor, which includes Dr. Lahab. I asked, what is it? He says, we will be sitting at the table doing jamp. Usually a small group of professors happen to stroll by during these sessions and we both know they are monitoring the sessions. Though the professors pretend like they're not, he says then one of us won't be wearing pants. I start laughing because I think it's funny on multiple levels. I am thinking he wants me as the client to not wear pants. Then he stands up and says, it would be like this. He is only wearing a short black waiter's apron instead of pants. We both laugh hysterically. I mean, this is what we mean by time and eternity. This is what we mean by the unconscious. Tell me what you're hearing in that dream, Lahab. Go, go ahead. Tell me what you're hearing in that dream. So my client is dreaming that she is no longer being treated by Jamp. She's actually studying with me which in a sort of way she is psychologically because I have her kind of like rate everything and write-ups and she's fantastic. But she is now in her head, she's like, she is moving towards a different object. Okay, so what she's saying in here is like, who's not wearing pants? Who's not aware? Who's absent-minded? Something is missing here. This dream is more about our process than it is about her process. 
this is what um, Stein was talking about in that chapter. He was talking about how Jung uh, had a client who had a dream about him. And her dream was that he was ill, tired, in her dream. And he came down with the flu. I told him I can do these case studies right up a couple of hours. I asked, what is it? He says, we will be sitting at table doing professors, which includes Dr. Lahab. I said, what is it? He says, we will be sitting at the table doing professors. I asked, what is it? Over and over again, what is it comes up? What is it? What is it? This is the archetype messing with you. <laughs> what do you think you're doing down there? What is it you are doing down here? What is it? What is it you are looking for down here? This is a conversation from the archetype to you. Because I, tell, I told her, write down your dreams so we could have, so we do interpretation. And it's been all about her, about her past, about her feelings, about this one is like, it says jam so many times, and then it says Dr. Lahab. Just in case, I say, oh, you know, it's process, you know, just in case I dismiss it. No, it says Dr. Lahab. So the dream is talking to me. I'm asking my client for her dreams. I interpret her dreams. Then the dream that comes up in her psyche in the unconscious is talking to me. What are you looking for? Mm -hmm. That's the first time I've ever heard somebody having a dream like that. Well. And yet Murray, and yet Murray says it in his book. <laughs> That, that's pretty fascinating. Because, because the unconscious is a priori, whatever happens mm -hmm. in the unconscious happens before anything else. Mm -hmm. This conversation has already been had a long time ago, way before I knew this person. We had this conversation. Now it's asking me again, laughing. I start laughing because I think it's funny on multiple levels, because when I talk about jam, I say there's multiple levels. It's laughing at me. Oh, you think there are multiple levels, eh? I am thinking he wants me as the client to not wear pants. Then he stands up and says, it would be like this. He's only wearing a short black waiter's apron instead. I was a waiter. I was a waiter for a long time through graduate school. She doesn't know that. It's not that's, sen that's synchronicity. This is talking to me, brother. It's not, to, this is a dream. That's not really about, this is her psyche talking to me. This is the archetype yeah. talking to self. Yeah. <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> Continue. So it says here, it says, 
there's a table with a youngish man sitting at it working on his computer. I have a picture of when I was at DePaul, when I was a kid, it was like my second year in the States after coming back, I was sitting there, I had this small mustache and I was sitting there working on math and I sucked at math. It was like kryptonite, I couldn't figure it out. I understand it now at the time, I could not figure it out. I think one of my professors said, you know, the Arabs discovered this. I think he was insulting me, but I still couldn't figure it out. So here it says there's a table with a youngish man. I, I show you this picture. This is how scary it is. Sitting at working on his computer, he greets me and I sit down on the other end of the table. He asks, how my write-up is coming along? Because we were always working on, we were always working on papers. We are both studying JAMP and are required to write up a client case study. The worst part was case study. I was like, when they used to say case study, I'd be completely overwhelmed. Just the term was too big for me. I think it was uh, a problem of my English. I didn't understand the term. I literally took the term in, but I didn't understand it. I didn't have nuance. <clears throat> We are each other's clients for our practice in JAMP, and he asked me if I want to play joke on our professor, which includes Dr. Lahab. So I am not professor. It's very nuanced. Mm -hmm. You're a kid with an apron. <laughs> I poke you. Yeah. Do you see me? Mm -hmm. That's what they're saying. He goes, Usually a small group of professors happens to stroll by by during these sessions. And we both know they are monitoring the sessions, though the professors pretend like they're not. He says, then one of us won't be wearing pants. <laughs> I start laughing because I think it's funny on multiple levels. <laughs> wow. It's a great dream. <laughs> What's fascinating is the dream I missed in the last session that I had with her. I missed this dream. I didn't see it. I went through all the dreams. Yeah. I went through all the dreams. Oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> I went through the first three. It takes us a long time to get through. <clears throat> but I missed that dream. And I was looking for, uh, because she sends me dreams every week. So I was looking for the new dreams. And by accident, I opened the old dreams and it said jam all over the mm. place. And Dr. Lahab in the middle, I was like, what the hell is that? How did I not see that? On multiple levels. Oh, <laughs> not to scare anybody. This is what we call synchronicity. This is what we call causality. This is what um, Jung would call, he says and draws a uh, amazing, um, Stein draws a map in the end. I think it's Jung's map. 
where indestructible energy is at the top, the space-time continuum is at the bottom. On the right side, there is inconstant connection through contingency equivalence or meaning, meaning synchronicity. And on the left is constant connection through effect and causality. Can I add an interesting point? Yeah. Um, in my studies of twins, some of my studies of twins, identical twins, these synchronistic events, synchronicity, when it happens, it happens at a higher rate among identical twins as it does the normal population, the regular population. Mm, yes, because uh, psyches are connected. It's like living in big families. And, and get this, even identical twins who have been reared separately in different environments. Correct. And it could be something as simple as both young men went out and bought a car it's and not, they both bought and they both bought the same car. Yeah, but the identical twins, they, they have the same psychoid. So their psychoid realm wraps around both of them. Sure. When they are born in the world, their psychoid realm is connected. And that's why unconsciously we as scientists started studying them first. Because it was not only a genetic oddity, there was something strange going on. Why do we have these two exact creatures coming out at the same time? Are they different? It started as pure, no, it's not pure curiosity. What, what Jung would say is that this is the idea of the psychoid. The psychoid realm is built around them. It's not only that they share, um, they have a connected psyche, the psychoid realm where the archetypes are contains both, contains both of them. And that's why when they are out in the world, they always know of the other. Because it's like another piece of you out there. Signoricity is when Eric calls me and I thought he was dead. A joke for another day. But anyway, <laughs> a friend asked, he said, what happened to Eric? Because I tried to call him and email him and whatever. I didn't know he moved to the boonies. But anyway, so I gave up. I was like, oh, this guy's dead. So somebody asked me and I said, oh, yeah, Eric died. Oh, really? Yeah. I said, it's very sad, but he died. But Eric had called me and left a message. And it was the strangest thing. I knew he was going to call, even though he was dead. I knew he was going to call. I picked up that phone. I was like, that's Eric. Before, like a split second before I heard his voice, I was like, that's Eric. But I joked with him. I said, I killed you. Now I have to bring you back to life, which is not the case, but. Well, don't leave me talking by myself. Please speak. 
Now you're just giving yourself too much credit there. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> I got embarrassed by myself. <laughs> okay, next thing happens today. I'm looking for Lisa's, uh, Lisa's working on, um, uh, anyway, a, a piece of material that I am looking for today. And I'm thinking she withdrew it. Or I can't get access to it. Disappeared. Where did it go? I can't find it. So I text Lisa. I would say, send this back to me. I don't have this. It's gone. I don't have access to it. It's disappeared. Because I was in the middle of a session and I could not find it. It was like playing with me the entire time. Like I would get close to it, I would open a file where it's supposed to. At the one point, I found it and it was locked. So I'm like, it's very strange. It's like, what's going on? So I'm, I, I continue doing session, but it's like something's messing with me. I can't find the affirmations. Like, oh, can you remember affirmations? Well, yeah, I can remember. I just want to look at the sequencing and it wouldn't let me look at the sequencing until about the end of the session during the meditation. When the client was in the meditation, I had to remember it all. But anyway, when the client was in, I figured out that Bailey had locked the file. And I needed to, to access it in a different way. Mm -hmm. Did not know. But anyway, fascinating. And then she's like, oh, it's my fault, I'll open it. And I was like, okay, because I always use it. Mm -hmm. I could open it on my phone, I open it on my screen. I'm like, where did it disappear to? I know it's downloaded. It can't disappear like that, can it? But it made me doubt it today. Because I kept looking. And so the session was going and I kept looking. It's like, no, no, it's here. And that was the counter-transference. The counter-transference was of the person who I was sitting with, who I was experiencing, and the experience of them was loss. Severe loss. And it showed up in me and cannot locate something lost something mm. like to the point where i would t i text lisa like i felt lost that was the counter transference that's the bridge mm -hmm. <clears throat> that's a really great I, example of that because yeah. when i mean it's not it's not an it's not a just a automatic um, obvious one. No, you know, you but have... it bothered me so much because I'd never have a problem. Mm -hmm. That's what it bothered me. It's like, it was like, I never have a problem with this. What is going on? So in this chapter, Stein mm -hmm. writes yeah. uh, that Jung argues that synchronicity must be considered in arriving at an answer to the question of meeting. So here you go again, yes. you, you arrive there and you're going back to the actual question once you've assessed the meaning. It's just, it, it's just like the snake eating the tail. 
Correct. <laughs> yeah. Correct, it's, because because ultimately, the snake is one. Mm-hmm. Because the Mandela is the symbol of life. Mm-hmm. And so the snake eating his tail is exactly that. Yeah. Yeah, the circle of life isn't just about our entire length of our entire existence. The circle of life happens to us every single day in some of the things that we process and think and feel and experience. Mm-hmm. Well, so so the self is, uh, what is it? Uh, um, likes to show off. It's like mother nature. Have you seen this? Have you seen me move the clouds where the rain falls in one place and you're standing in another place and it's not falling on you? Have you seen that? I can do that. Do you want to see it? And you go, wow. You're always like, wow. I used to watch dust storms come up towards Dubai. I would go, wow, that's mother nature. That's the cosmic mother. That's creation. And that's what creation does. It shows off. So self also shows off. It will represent over and over again. It will represent itself everywhere. It will project itself to the point where you are just talking about it like eh, bread and butter. That's, that's creation. Creation loves to show off. Oh, you thought that was fancy. Oh, let me show you something, man. You haven't seen anything. That's creation. It's the wonder of creation. It's like, it takes you to say, ah. You go to a mystical place, you go, ah, that's creation. And creation is exactly what synchronicity is connected to. Mother Nature is always reminding you, remember where you came from. Mm -hmm. Don't forget, you're not animal out in world. Remember where you came from. And that's why you have people climbing mountains and putting themselves in dark rooms and meditating for hours and excluding themselves from rest of the world where you have nuns who live in monasteries on top of mountains. That's the mystical aspect. That's what they want to touch. That's creation and signoricity is part of creation. It's like causality. It's it's everywhere. <laughs> yes. But it's everywhere with purpose. Yes. It has a plan. It doesn't do anything out of the ordinary just because it wants to. No. There is plan. What do you think, Lisa? Well, I'm just reading from Stein here. This type mm-hmm. of meaning goes that uh, there's a chain of linear causality. Um, like existence uh, presents a purpose or a representation or maybe a repetition uh, in these overlaying uh, presentations of them uh, that are 
I don't know, organized, spontaneous. I, I, I'm sure there's a term here that I'm missing that was stated in this chapter, but it's just uh, they, they are meaningful in their presentations and they're not to be um, ignored or um, they're there's subtle. There's an organization in the spontaneity of, yeah. <laughs> of it, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's spontaneous, but there's an organization behind it. Mm -hmm. A casual orderedness is another statement. That, yeah. I was watching. <laughs> yeah, I like that term. Mm -hmm. what, what was the term again, Lisa? Say A casual term. orderedness. The casual orderedness. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I was watching with great awe at Arlington Cemetery, how the guards of the dead. If you want to talk about an archetypal image in our present day, it blew me away. They march, they salute 21 guns, they stop for 21 seconds. If you want to talk about this chapter, you have to go see Arlington National Cemetery and watch the change of the guard. They do it all day long. You know what they are guards of, of the archetypes. Mother nature likes to show off. What are they guards of? The archetype, the archetype of the unknown soldier. Who is the archetype of the unknown soldier? That's the goddess of war. It's beautiful. It's poetic. And it's a ritual. Today, it's a ritual. So if you want to say, well, you know, young, you know, talk about synchronicity and this and that, okay. Go see the archetypes and go see their gods. And go see all those who come to honor them. They will shush you if you talk. You're not supposed to talk. You're supposed to respect the archetype. They're telling stories about Arlington National Cemetery and these guards, and I am blown away. Like somehow I had missed this bus. When did this bus land? And how did I miss that scene when I was in DC for two consecutive years going up to the hill and lobbying for the American Counseling Association. How did I miss that? Now I have to go back to watch them guard the archetype. They're guarding the archetype. Unknown soldier, what? okay, who is unknown soldier? Mike, John, Jesus, who is it? Represents them all. Exactly. That's the that's the goddess. <laughs> that's the goddess. That's the they. Do you know they have open flame on JFK? Do you know when JFK used to look out and says, "I want to be buried here." It's so beautiful. They made room for him. 
and they let him light. There's a light, this, uh, I think it's gas, which burns all day. Doesn't go out. And when his, when his brother was in the Senate, his office would overlook where he's buried to see him. At Arlington National Cemetery. Fascinating. You want to talk about fairy tales. Fascinating. Blew me away. Blew me away. I was, I was, I was like, I was. And so, signoricity. What are we doing? We're talking about jamp. What is jamp? Jamp is to build a bridge into the archetype, into the psychodrama. To retrieve pain, anger, and to leave before you get caught. Because once you get caught, it starts messing with you. Helps to free one up. It does more than that. It also opens avenues of being that you have never experienced before. Sure. That sure. Is, well, that's very be, satisfying. Yeah, <clears throat> you have to be open to that. And you can't be open to that if you're not free. Correct. But we all yearn for freedom, by the way. Sure. Lisa. Yes. Thoughts. I am not afraid. <laughs> I'm not afraid, no. No, you cannot be. You cannot be. You have to be like the soldier who guards Arlington National Cemetery because what you're guarding is sacred forces mm -hmm. that unite us all. There's a reason they stand guard and there's a reason people come to see. That reason is what is the line that connects everybody to everybody else. And that's why the people that we elect to government, they go to honor the unknown. It is, you know, I was reading this chapter and I was thinking, um, He starts out by apologizing on synchronicity and causality on page 204. He says, this is Stein. The essay itself is difficult and certainly deeply flawed by misguided effort at statistical analysis. He's talking about Young. Of a piece of research carried out on married couples by a colleague. In my review of this work, I will limit myself to the theoretical section. Young begins by commenting on the notion of causality and the laws of probability. And he notes the universal human tendency to project causality. Almost inevitably, people ask the question, why did it happen? He notes the universal human tendency to project causality. Almost inevitably, people ask the question, what did it why did it happen? One assumes that every event 
is caused by something that preceded it. Often a causal re relation of this sort is present, yet occasionally it may not be. In psychology, for instance, causality is particularly difficult to ascertain because nobody can know for certain what causes us to do, think, and feel as we do. There is conscious motivation and there's unconscious motivation of psych psychic contents and impulses. There are many stories that try to explain emotion, behavior, and causality. Uh, causality. But our projections undoubtedly lead us to find more causation in the realm of psychological phenomena than, in, than is really there. Or we may attribute events to their own causes, finding out later that we were mistaken. And he'll go on to talk about how people assume that children who grew up around violence will end up doing violence um, or not. But I think that's where we kind of lose our path is we think this is causal, that her dream is causality. I'm a professor, she's a client, we're doing JAMP and that's why the dream is like that. But it's not causality. I mean, the dream is addressing me. She writes it in a way that it addresses me. She says the things about Jemp that I say, but this is talking to me. You're not talking to anybody else. Yes, you're talking through her, but she's still talking. That's talking to me. That same client, when I've done work with her in the past, I've spent days like, uh, you know, I would sit there and make dinner for everybody. And I'm really enjoying making dinner. I love making dinner. And I would like serve dinner. And then in the middle of making dinner, I would feel like nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. I would start crying and vow to myself, I will never make dinner for anybody ever again. And then I would leave because I know something is wrong and I don't know, I can't control myself anymore. I'm being overtaken by this force. And I'm feeling shitty. You used to always be around dinner time. You usually had some component of client. Because we build a bridge and then um, that's called counter-transference. Counter-transference happens, by the way, for uh, those who are not mm, connected to or understand psychology. But counter-transference happens whether you're sitting with somebody. It could be a lover, a mother, a father, a brother, a sister. You could have counter-transference. You could have transference. Uh, counter-transference is reaction, what uh, is the... A term that is used for the reaction of the therapist, um, their, their psychic content to the client. But countertransference can happen between two people. One person can have a transference of a different kind to the other. 
And that's the counter-transference. It could be that somebody else initiated the contact. Anyway, um, but I would describe this to my students. I would describe this like emotional takeover and how I would become and how it would take me a long time to like shake myself out of it. So I started burning incense and candles and because it's energy. And if somebody's disassociated from their pain, their psychic pain, and if it lies in the psychoid realm within the archetype, then that is going to come out as very powerful and very destructive and very angry because it's raw. Because that energy that comes out is raw energy. Because the, the dissociative aspect is so uh, severe that it's not just I cut it off. No. It's not just I put it behind a wall. No. It's not just like I dissociated. You disassociated from what Stein talks about from time and space. You disassociate it in another realm where energy exists by itself. It's indestructible. So that's what happens. And so when it comes out, it comes out as raw aggression. So um, Jam builds a bridge and that bridge helps all those uh, negative aspects of pain and emotional um, <sighs> being emotionally held up. Jam frees you of that. It opens the bridge where those energies come out. They cross the bridge. They're out of your system. But you're still dealing with energies that are very, very um, unpredictable at times. Because they know they're a priori. Oh, you want to open door? Okay, we let you. No, not today. Go away. Come back later. We changed our mind. It's not being open to process. It's there is a part of you. There's a part of all of us that is beyond us that we call the archetypes. And they are independent. They're a priori. They are independent of anything around. Yet, they connect you to the world. They connect you to the psychic ground. They connect you to each other. They connect you to your body. They connect the inside to the outside. 
And that, that's what I like about how he described this, because you already mentioned it, that, that he said that universal, the uni, of a universal human tendency is to project causality. Mm-hmm. Yet, that doesn't mean that there's causality to everything that we project it onto. Because there are, and it's kind of, relieving to me to know that not everything comes from the ego, that there's an impersonal unconscious, just like there's a personal unconscious. And the impersonal unconscious contents don't have anything to do with us on a personal level. (laughs) I, I I, I want to address that. I really do, uh, but uh, Lisa is saying that she might have to leave us all of a sudden. Uh, so, Lisa, um, any thoughts? That this, as you stated in the beginning, this chapter is very subtle, but there's a lot of content in there. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, um, I mean, I think everything up to this point is very logical. There's progression, there's growth, there's definitions, meanings, and yet this last one is very intuitive. Correct. Trusting of subconscious. And um, it's binding a lot of different disciplines who that are also working off of fundamentally intuition or else why would they be exploring these things correct uh and it's a really uh interesting chapter where i'm like oh there's like two three paragraphs that you could just write a whole book on Uh, Mm. it's it's a really um fascinating topic but it's so esoteric Mm. and it sounds so woo woo Mm. and it's so easily uh you can easily dismiss it yes you Um, can yeah, or or you can uh, say that there's no fact and and therefore has no substantive meaning. Uh, uh, so it's it's, it's a, but yet there's a, a it's compelling. <laughs> and it holds your attention whether you like it or not. Yes, and and the psychology that and the practices of mental health therapies today. I think are getting closer to these ideas little by little and mm. <laughs> step by step. I think it's, it's, it's going. They're finding, in. they're finding their way through the dark cave because they refuse to use the light that they have. Mm. You are <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. They will keep stumbling in the dark cave for a while. But mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Yes. They'll say, is that a hand? That's a hand. That's a finger. That's a finger. Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I know, just, I know just, that. just <laughs> measure and, how big and, it is, and then. <laughs> and in similar ways, we all have. We we've all been yeah. stumbling in the dark. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, this this yeah. stuff is it 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 can be esoteric. Mm-hmm. I remember Murray telling me, Doctor Stein saying, "Hey, th- this this journey you're on sometimes can be a lonely one." Mm-hmm. And that's not because I, it's esoteric. Pardon? It's not because it's esoteric. It's because your consciousness starts to take over. And what happens is you are always pushing the level of consciousness. And that's the irritation. 
And that's where it becomes lonely because what you see is not seen because it scares people. They say, well, if this is if this is real, if archetypes are real, and we actually have a force that symbolizes our defense of them to show that they're real in the world, that blows people away. They rather think of this as, oh, you know, it's an unknown soldier. You know, he died somewhere. And it represents all those dead soldiers. That's the archetype, man. What are you talking about? That's the archetype. Not only are you defending something unknown, you're saying it's unknown. By saying it's unknown, <laughs> you just said, hello, archetype. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, and when I said esoteric, I'm not referring to esoteric in the sense that it's only, it, it's only for a no, certain no, I population. I, I, no, I understood what you said. Because brother. it's for everyone. No, no, I understood what you said, brother. I didn't, it wasn't about esoteric. I, no, yeah, okay. what I am saying is that, yes, uh, I think Lisa has experienced it. I think Lisa, with the work she's been doing with Jem, she has experienced that she feels alone sometimes with people that she didn't feel alone with before because her eyes see things that they don't see any, they, they don't see, they don't know, they don't understand. And when you start seeing at multiple levels as the dream likes to mock me, at multiple levels, when you see yourself at multiple levels, this is very different than looking at the same thing over and over again. It's like, you know, you get, you get tired and you look at them and like, okay, why are you looking at it again? I thought we were, I thought we got through this. It's not like you skipped everybody at school. It's like you exist in a different school. It's, it's not like, oh, you know, they're in sixth grade and you're in 12. No. Right, right. That's a process. Yeah. yeah. As a you said it that way. That's a multi-level process. No, this is, this is a different school. The school you were in, the school of thought, where jam comes from, where the jam price, we are thinking outside the boundaries of what is um, control. We're thinking of how the map works. Yeah. And where control is not obsolete, it only exists in numbers. It only dictates that which we already know is going to happen. Mm -hmm. So the guru says, I knew that was going to happen. Yeah. Okay, guru. Great. What can I do with that? That's, you know, that's usually our retort. And the retort is out of defensiveness because we don't know what the guru is talking about. Because what guru is talking about is this is part of the order of things, of the way the world is connected. Who cares yeah. if you're wearing pants? Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So let me tell you a story, Lisa. Yeah. One day I was standing in front of the mirror. I was going to Ulex Children's Home. This is before I met Eric. I was working in residential. 
I put my jacket on, I put my shirt on, I put my tie on. I looked at myself in the mirror. I was great. I looked beautiful. I walked out and this cold wind hit me and I realized I had no pants on. And I walked back into the house and put on my pants. So this dream, this is what I'm telling you. Dream is showing up again. It, it is talking directly to me. Synchronicity. That it's another example of synchronicity. Exactly. It's talking to me. It's not talking to anybody else. I know what this is. <sighs> We're getting dream within the dream of the dream. Yeah. It's, like, it's like, you know, I walked out and this is Chicago, Chicago in the winter. Yeah. So I am walking out. I'm like, oh, you know, I feel a little cold down there, but they haven't looked down. I don't have pants on. I, I went back inside. I told Sarah, I said, uh, I was about to walk outside with no pants. I don't know why. I made a brilliant move. <laughs> have a look. Yeah. So this dream comes back out of nowhere. You know, it was an oddity at the time. It didn't happen like over and over again. It wasn't like I had Alzheimer's or I had a part of my brain that was destroyed. No, it happened once. And I remember it because it happened that time. I I could recall if it happened to that. No, it happened once. And the dream comes back and it's like, okay. Well, that's interesting. Because it's, because connection in the world, understanding, when you're treating somebody, you're treating them from understanding, from the ability to grasp that this person exists in the way they do and that there is need to be internally an anchor to the space, even though you've never experienced anything this person has experienced, where you know those tides go. And that anchor draws you back into that dark space. And so when they start talking to you and telling you about their pain, you go into that dark space and you say, oh, this doesn't feel good. But that's a treatment. The treatment's Spr powerful. And, it's, uh, it's a strange a, chapter. You're right. The dream yeah, is powerful. It, yeah. And dreams are powerful. And the, uh, yeah, there's a lot to. You. No, I think we, I mean, I think Jemp is, uh, is truly something that is. Um, it's liberating. Exactly. <laughs> it is. It's revolutionary. We say it's just like you said, Eric, brings you freedom. Yeah, that's and that is what we are trying to do. We are trying. I mean, we got into the technical aspects today. Mm -hmm. but what we're trying to do is we are trying to liberate people from uh, oppressive archetypal systems um, that were activated when they were younger. Because mm -hmm. of what because of because I, Stein talks about this. He says uh, certain archetypal patterns are activated early on. So if you live in certain areas, those archetypes are going to be activated. If you live in where there's a lot of violence, the activation of uh, violence and anger and 
whether you use it or not, doesn't matter. I think he also um, splits hairs and says, it does not matter if you use it or not. Uh, because causality is not the explanation, but it's the archetype. But there is an activation of the archetypes. So, uh, bye, Lisa. Yeah. Hi, Lisa. See you later. Hi. Hey, Lisa. Uh, yes. If you ever, if you ever want to read a book for fun, read the book Flatland. Flatland. Yeah. Okay. You can get it. You can pick it up for a few dollars now. It's a book I read many, many years ago, and it takes the third dimension out, and it has mm -hmm. your life as just a, a dot on a page, and it it brings up how some of these synchronicity moments can occur through the course of our life as you follow the, the, the pencil trail of your life and watch it cross over itself a number of times. It was an uh, interesting book. L little old, it's real thin, little book called Flatland. Okay. <laughs> this is a little bit, it sounds like it's very interesting, intriguing. Gives you, it gives your mind a little twist. That's great. I, 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 think you would, I think you would enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you. I'll look into it. I want to thank you too for having me, and I'm sorry I have to cut short. No worries. Um, so we're we're close to like yes. wrapping this party up anyway. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, the next book series review session. Um, yes, yes, it's um, so, on Franz's collected works. Oh yeah, um, I got it. I got it today. I got all six books and, that I ordered within a week. And she talks about psyche. And um, I think we will come back to this chapter uh, again and again, because I think there are, there are doors in this chapter that we haven't even opened that we can really kind of go and investigate because I think it leads to all kinds of possibilities. I mean, the starting out, it talks about uh, what we talk about in uh, the one theory conference, which is young. Young talks about the unification of theories, that everything is connected, that everything is one, that everything is not disconnected or we are different pieces or pawns on a shelf. We are all connected in one way. And that all of us are different pieces of each other. I think that's fascinating. And I think that when we build the bridge during a jam, when we create the affirmations to help those who want to cross over, because the affirmations in a lot of ways is the only way to cross over. You cannot cross over. You cannot release the pain that you've been holding on to because it's become a friend, even though it causes you a great deal of hurt, but it's been a companion, it's become a friend. Although it keeps hurting you, you've been living with it for so long, you don't wanna give it up and that's very difficult. That makes the process of jam complicated because a lot of people don't want to give up that pain because they've defined themselves with it. They've told others that's who they are. 
So there's great energies in holding on to pain. And that's why uh, JAMP works so well. It's, it's the combination of the affirmations and building that bridge. It's the affirmations like, you know, they're prayers to self. They're reflection on you. I am powerful, I am fearless, I am brave, I am strong, I am not afraid. It's I. I am going to cross this bridge. I am going to change my life. I am going to do this. I am going to survive. I'm going to live. I'm not going to die tonight. A lot of soldiers say that to themselves. I'm not dying tonight. I have kids to go back to. This is how they survive the night. Because fear is unimaginable. You're anticipating being shot or blown up or something. So you hold on to that. So this is the bridge. This is the way back. This is the way back to sanity. This is the way back to ourselves. Because what we're living in is a hell because we are living in the deepest, darkest parts of pure energy. That's a hell. Because we have been taken over by the pain. Like it has suctioned itself to us and it pulls out more and more of it all the time. And therefore, we wake up with fear, irritation, depression, anger, anxiety, fear. Not knowing who we are, what we are, how we are, where we're going, who we love, what That's what JAMP does. That is the actual purpose of JAMP. It takes that away. It opens up a bridge where you no longer have to hold on to it. Now, if you choose to hold on to it, it takes more sessions. But if you're ready to let go, it's very easy. One session, you will feel fantastic. The more you double and triple and quadruple down, like anything else, the psyche is very adaptable to defense. And it will defend itself even though you're being helped. Because that it knows. I know pain. I know this. It's, what is this guy offering a a pain-free life, uh, no trauma, no fear, no triggers. Well, what type of life is that? I would be bored. You don't believe that. This is the first person I think I, um, I worked with Jamp with. Um, the pain was gone. They were angry, scared. What do I do now? Well, you experience the world without pain. It's a novelty. 
And that, and that can that 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 alone can produce fear. <laughs> no, no. What it does is uh, reinforces the archetype. Yeah. So the energy grid around the archetype just becomes reinforced over and over again. It gets recharged because now it's just pulling energy. You know, and that's what we're talking about. And when we think about it in, in simplistic terms, if I let's talk simplistically, let's talk in the ABCs. Here, ABC. Your irritation raises your energy level. And as it raises your irritation level, and as you become angrier and angrier and angrier, that is all energy. And then there comes a point where all the hot air is gone and you're trying to catch your breath. It's not complicated. Yeah, there's a, a finite uh, resource, right? He says energy. I'd like. He says energy is indestructible. Go ahead, Eric. You're saying. I was just gonna. It made me think of a. Uh, I don't know where it is. It's somewhere in the New Testament. I think in the Gospels. I'm not a. You know, big Bible scholar these days, but. Um, but it basically talks about, and I'll put it in Jungian terms. It basically talks about if you have a room and you sweep out all the complexes and you don't replace it with something, then those complexes are going to come back, mm. except even even with even with more. Yeah, the illusion is that you can sweep them out. They're not they're not sweepable. I mean, this is the problem with the room. The room is you can sweep them into corners, but they come back to you. Yeah. Because they're set up in those ways. Whereas, as Stein says, I think you, you already know this, but Stein says they've been activated. So they always like, you always find them back and you're like, oh, I, you know, I worked on my mother complex for 20 years in psychoanalysis, but I can't stand that person. What you're saying is at that point is like your mother complex is activated. She's getting to you, right? But you spent 20 years in psychoanalysis trying to get rid of mother complex. You can't necessarily get rid of it. You have to work through it. So as soon as you say, I tried to get rid of it, the complex is offended, by the way, because it's an archetype. It's much older than you and I, buddy. We need respect for it. It's existed throughout time. And now you're insulting it. You're having conversation with others. You're talking about mother complex. And everybody's looking at this guy thinking one thing. What are they thinking? You were in therapy for 20 years? What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> so that's the one thing they're thinking. So Because this is a crowd, right? So the more he talks about it, the worse is like, oh my God. Can you imagine being this guy's therapist? So their minds are going everywhere. What is that? That's the energy from the complex. It's pushing everybody's buttons around. Everybody's becoming judgmental. People are becoming angry. Some people are becoming sarcastic. So one person is standing there going, oh my God, do we have to listen to this? Who is this guy? They're all like standing and they're all activated. 
they're all activated by the complex. Their complexes are activated. This is like a party. You know, that group of people where one person comes in and listens is like, I need to stay away from them. They're fucked up <laughs> and goes to the other side. That's what happens. That's what happens when certain groups get together and start talking. They activate each other's complexes. So they're not talking consciously to each other anymore. Whether it's about God or whoever the fuck it is. They're not talking. What they're talking about is the complex, the archetype. And what does the archetype always do? It fucks with you. They'll tell you you're inferior. You're not going to do anything. Are you going to do anything? I don't think you're going to do anything. You're a coward. It knows how to push your buttons. Now, this is where causality comes in. This is when you hear father's voice or brother's voice, but sometimes it's just the pure. It's just the complex. The complex has been activated. It's triggered. We had uh, one of our uh, a person that used to work with us. When their complex used to be activated, he liked to go to the Chinese buffet. When his mother complex was activated, he liked to go to the Chinese buffet. He took me there. Uh, Victor C. Newman. I don't want to mention his name, but good man, a friend of yours. But when his complex was activated, Oh, the Chinese buffet is the best place to go. I'm like, okay. The food was terrible, by the way. But that is a direct response to mother complex. Why is mother complex being activated? Because we're working with kids. All of our mother complexes were being activated. We're working with kids. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Of course, that transferential energy is coming through and we're like, oh, you know, I can't believe it. Let me ask you a question. Sure. Why, why do you um, think that that a number of people, I, I'd even say, I don't want to give a, put a percentage on it, but most people that I meet, um, when you try to explain, I'll just put it in Jungian terms, archetypes. Mm -hmm. Now with different people, you use different words. Um, why do so many people ha think that when you start trying to get them to understand that this archetypal energy and stuff is bigger than themselves. Mm. It, it, it's 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 everywhere. <laughs> it's throughout humanity. It's not just peculiar to them. When they try to think about that being out there, it sounds like a bunch of mumbo jumbo to them. Yeah, because yeah, because the complex is saying. Are you listening to this shit? You don't believe this shit. What is wrong with you? Are you five? They're talking shit. 
it fucks with you. You have to say back to the complex is like, hold on a second, let him finish. Why do you keep interrupting? Now, now millions of people call the complex all that. Always, the complex always, remember Eric, the complex is always hidden and wants to reveal itself. But now, now, it's, now. Not, it's not straight about the, it's, it. It doesn't have a um, clean history. It will do what it wants to do. Right. Now, there are hundreds of millions of people on this planet that have names for some of those archetypes. Correct. You know, spirits, demons, bad, evil spirits. Correct. But they're also saviors, they're also gods, they're also sure. uh, Poseidon, they're also uh, Hector, they're also Athena, they're also all types of, because these mythological figures are archetypes. Sure. You know, it's, for, for example, when Zeus, because Zeus is the ultimate archetype, he represented self. Zeus is this almighty God because he represented self. And what does Zeus do? Zeus, right, is never ever straight. He comes at you in very many ways. He's a, he's a con artist. He's mercurial. He moves yes. around he comes in the shower. He comes in. You can't. So, yes, on the one hand, they are. They have a demonic aspect to them. Because when you have aspects in the world that are pure energy, what you're talking about is powers beyond your control. Right. And understanding. Yes. Because energy is indestructible. Therefore, it will continue to do what it does. Well, that's why I like this chapter so much, because Stein really gets into, without turning it into a scientific article, he gets into matter and energy, and he talks Correct. about it. Correct. And he talks about, you know, the, you know, the little boundary sometimes that can be between those. Correct. And between us and them, so it's it's um, that's why I enjoyed the chapter so much. But I is, but if I would have read it, if I would have read it when I was twenty two, for example, it wouldn't made sense. I would have thought it was a bunch of mumbo jumbo. No, no, it wouldn't have made sense. This is the thing: we have had we've had decades of uh, school and reading and research and to come to some of these ideas in a in a non judgmental way yeah is complicated yeah that's well said Lahab. Yeah. very well said well with that uh we would like uh to uh bid you adieu from me, Dr. Lahab al-Samurai at uh, the Institute for Complex Individuation podcast. We look forward to talking to all of you next week and sharing another story with all of you. 
Uh, Eric, how would you like to send off? Just thank you for this this uh, this podcast. It was very very um, helpful for me because it just reasserted things that the book said, which reasserted things that, gosh, I've known, some of which I've known, some of which I haven't. Um, and I just thought it was a good job. And, 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 and uh, you summed up a number of points that was very helpful. Uh, thank you, everyone. And we will be back next week. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Individuation Podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Eric, Lisa, and Dr. Al Samurai. We would also like to thank Eric and Lisa for taking the time to join us. We hope you enjoyed this chapter for the Jung Map of the Soul. Tune in again next time to the Individuation Podcast for another episode soon. at the Institute of Conflict greatly appreciate all of you listeners. Please share the podcast with your friends and spread the word. If you would like to help expand our community, like us on Facebook and Instagram and give us a five-star review on iTunes. I'm Sonia Mahmood and you've just listened to the Institute of Conflict Individuation Podcast. We'll be back soon.